Good morning, church. Good morning, City Life. Friends, family, visitors, if you are listening to me, good morning. And God bless you. Thanks for coming. Thanks for joining us. Super grateful for your presence. If you're new or visiting, my name is Pedro Reese. I'm the lead pastor here at City Life. And uh, just really grateful that you're here. Really grateful that you've joined us. Uh, take up, take up our, our offer of connecting seriously. Like, I, you email me directly at preese reese at citylifenj.com. We want to hear from you. We want to connect. We want to be the church, be a home here for Jersey City and for the area. Uh, that's what we're passionate about. That's what we feel called to do. And so take us up on that. Today is a fun and exciting day. But let's start here. Let's start talking uh, about Leah Holland. Leah Holland, I read about her months ago, and I remembered about her story this week, and man, it's tragic, tragic and funny. You see, Leah is uh, 25, she lives in Kentucky, and for two and a half years, she has been debating on what tattoo, she just like really wanted a tattoo, and she finally went for it. She has spent two and a half years thinking about, you know, what do I want it on my body? She put it in a visible spot, which is just hilarious. And um, she thought for a very long time. And then, take this date in, on March 4th, 2020, she finally did it. She finally went out and got that tattoo she's been wanting for so long. And that tattoo that she got on March 4th, March 4th, 2020, said this, courageously, and radically refused to wear a mask. And I like just still laugh whenever I think about that. Just think about her having to explain that all the time, what it meant, what she's like, oh my goodness. Like in this, in a COVID world, a tattoo that says courageously and radically refused to wear a mask is just kind of really tragic and pretty funny. Let's talk about another thing that I read this week. I read about homeownership, about the real estate market here in the country, just because I like reading different things. And I read that 64% of millennials who have bought a home during pandemic are experiencing deep buyer's remorse. Like for, for Leia, I can understand her buyer's remorse. I can understand her like, I waited for so long and I got this and 10 days later, all of society went on pause. And then I, I think about these millennials who are purchasing homes now for the first time and 64% of them have deep buyer's remorse, are stuck in their condition, didn't think it through or just didn't expect homeownership to be so expensive or the upkeep and or just were pressured into buying in really competitive areas because that's where they wanted to live. They wanted to escape the city. They bought this thinking that like it would offer them more than it actually has. And this is a good place to talk, to start our sermon today. In fact, today we're starting a series, a whole series. And I want to start off by asking this like really poignant, simple question. Was that life happens to all of us and we're all disappointed. We all are feel a, like a, a good measure of dissatisfaction. And so the question that we're starting the series off is, how satisfied are you? Let me rattle off a bunch of questions here right now. For some reason, I just like couldn't stop asking myself questions this week. And so like, how satisfied are you in your lifestyle? 
How satisfied are you with how you spend money? How satisfied are you with how you look? Like how satisfied are you in the money that you make? Are you satisfied with your career or a lack of a career? Are you satisfied in your relationships with your friendships and your dating relationships with your spouse, with your coworkers, with your children? How satisfied are you in those important relationships? How satisfied are you living here in Jersey City? And if you don't live in Jersey City, how satisfied are you in your home? In general, how satisfied are you with life? How satisfied are you with your emotional health? Or maybe your mental health? Are you Christians? Let me, let me ask you a couple of questions here. How satisfied are you in your Christian walk? Do you feel like your Christian walk gives you answers to tough questions? How satisfied are you with the church? Or maybe even this church? Or with other Christians? With me as your pastor, how satisfied are you with Christ? Are you really deeply satisfied with how you walk out your faith? How about those who might be here who don't call themselves Christians? Are you truly satisfied? Are you satisfied with the answers to life that you have? Are you satisfied with the way you live your life, or are you here because you're looking for something? And back to all of us, are you, how satisfied are you? Do you feel blessed? Are you happy? Not just like the feeling of happy, the emotion of happy. Because I can be happy 20 times in a day and still be unsatisfied with life. But what's the state of happiness that you're in? Are you content? Does your life feel full? Does it fill you? Yeah, do you have a sense of being complete? a measure of true peace, and do you feel safe? Safe for yourself and for others. And I ask all of these questions because today we start a sermon series on something that I hope like, really profoundly addresses these thoughts. And one more question, are you divinely satisfied or are you constantly wanting more out of life? In life, we are all Christian and non-Christian, Buddhist, a Muslim, agnostic, atheist, anything, we all have struggles. We are all promised struggles. How satisfied are you in life's struggles, in what you face on a daily basis? Are you satisfied or do you want more? Do you know, think that there might be more out there? And so for the next uh, eight to nine weeks, we are going to be preaching about this. And we're going to look at one of the most highly respected, one of the most revered portions of all of the scriptures, and also being one of the least lived out, and one of the most avoided parts of all of Jesus' teachings. Today we're going to look at the Beatitudes, the introduction to Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. We're going to look at Matthew 5, and we're going to break down these Beatitudes and say, like, Lord, what is your mark of being a deeply satisfied person? Jesus, what do you say is blessed in this life? And so please pray with me as we enter in to the Beatitudes, such a beautiful portion of Scripture. Let's, let's let, invite the Holy Spirit here to guide how we approach this.
And so, Lord, I thank you for this day, and I thank you for gathering us, and I thank you for what you want to do and how you want to teach us your word, Lord, that, Jesus, you gave this sermon all those years ago to bring satisfaction into our lives, for us to search you and to look for you. We stand here because we believe that you had all of the truth to this life. And so, Lord, I want to know, we want to know what you call to be a blessed life. Lord, I want to live my life with you every day. I want this church to live their lives with you in everything that we do. And so help us to know how to approach your throne and say, Lord, what is a blessed life and how do we get it? Lord, I... Holy Spirit, I invite you to be with the preaching of your word, the hearing of your word, the implementing of your word, for you to challenge us in this series uh, in a new way. Lord, uh, thank you. We give you all praise, all honor, all glory. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, church. So today we are going to start our Beatitude series. We're going to go to Matthew chapter 5 and, and look at Matthew 5, 1 to 12, verses 1 to 12. Each week we'll break down a different beatitude, but today in our introductory week, let's look at them all and see what Jesus was doing here. Set some ground rules about how we're going to go forward. But this is what God's Word says. This is what Jesus taught on the mountain. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you, and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your, your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Every time I read the Beatitudes, I'm just struck by how beautiful it is of how like it is always just, when I give it time, when I sit in it, how it always pierces me and talks to really vulnerable places. Ethically and morally, these represent some of Jesus' highest teachings, this standard that I know is impossible for me to reach. It's impossible for any one of us to truly live all of this out. And I'm like, Jesus, what are you saying? And I don't think you would give us something that wasn't meant for us to really go after. And so like, Lord, how can I take this? How can I live this satisfied life, this life that is full of you in it? And I want us to like read this and not rush to saying, well, Lord, okay, I want to be blessed, and so this week I'm going to be more peaceful. I don't care. I'm going to be more meek this week. It doesn't matter what's happening. I'm just going to, I'm going to be more meek because I want to be blessed, and I want to say that like, I think Jesus is doing something very different that we need to slow down and and spend some time in because if we're just too worried about the results we'll find that we're not we're not living our lives for Christ but we're actually just trying to benefit from him it's like okay Lord this week I'm gonna cry I'm gonna mourn a little bit I'm like I think we're missing the point if we're there 
Like, Jesus, help me to know what you're looking for here. How, what do I need to really know to live this life that is truly blessed? That, like, I can get to this point where I'm like, I am truly blessed. I'm satisfied when I realize that I am poor in spirit. Because you know what? I am poor in spirit. And so, Lord, let, like, I want your grace to meet me then. It's like, oh, you are blessed satisfied, filled up when you mourn because you know that there's stuff to cry about. You know that we need to be comforted. And so you're blessed when you actually mourn. Today, we're starting what is called the beatific vision. Like, like Lord, what are you saying is a blessed life? I want to live this blessed life with you. And so, again, from here on out, we're going to be breaking down a beatitude every week. But this is three things that I think we need to know that should shape our journey going forward. Let's talk about the first thing, about what it means to be blessed. One of the things that is like most striking to me about the Beatitudes is that they seem so simple and plain, right? We read them and we rush over them. We think they're beautiful, right? But we're just like, okay, I get it. Like, when I do this, I get blessed. Okay, when I do this, I get a reward. Okay, that's great. So like, let me go out there and try really hard knowing that I won't be able to do almost any one of these. And so, like, oh, Lord, okay, I want to be blessed, so I'll do X, Y, and Z to achieve it. But if I really stop and hear what you're saying here, what you're saying to your disciples and the whole crowd that's followed you up on, on that hill, I, I realize that I have like, two really basic questions that I did not want today to go by without us addressing them. And the first one is, like, what even is a beatitude? And the second one is, what does Jesus really mean when he's talking about being blessed? So let's start with the first one. The first one leads into the second one pretty nicely. What is a beatitude? This is a simply defined a beatitude is this. It's a statement that describes being in a state of joy or being happy, but not just the emotion of being happy, but being in this deep satisfaction. A state of being full and not experiencing any lack. What Jesus is doing here in the Beatitudes is that he is like sharing with anyone who will take the time to listen that you will be full when X, when you realize that you are already X, because then you have like the grace to live it out with God. It's like, Lord, again, like I know when I realize that I am poor in spirit, because I am, I am so poor in spirit, no one knows how broken I am. And when I finally realize that I give God permission to come and live my life with to come and be close to me. I, I read this about like, what does it really mean to be blessed, and I read this from a Catholic priest, and I just, I just felt it was really good, that this blessing is this like pure happiness. They call it pure happiness. And pure happiness with Christ is, is this. He said, perfect happiness is that which you seek for its own sake and not for the sake of something else. Perfect happiness, once you have it, there is nothing else to seek. Nothing else to gain, nothing to achieve. And so a beatitude is just a statement of like how to be how to be blessed, how to be happy, and not the emotion of happy, but being satisfied to me is the better way of talking about it. And then this blessing that Jesus is talking about is this pure happiness, not tied to emotions, but tied to this thing of like, I need nothing else. Like in Psalm 23, when I acknowledge that Jesus is that God is my shepherd. I lack nothing. A perfect happiness is this satisfaction. I don't think satisfaction is a sexy word that Americans, that us Americans like. Like, 
we never just want to be satisfied. Why? We want way more than just being satisfied. But I just think about being satisfied with lacking absolutely nothing and saying, Lord, I have everything that I need right now. And how peaceful that sounds to me. Now, if you thought because we finished Ephesians, we weren't going to hear from my best friend John Stott again, you were mistaken because John Stott is coming with me everywhere that I go. I'm going to name my next son John Stott. He wrote this when talking about the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes, when talking about happiness. He says, Nevertheless, it is seriously misleading to render makarios, which is the Greek word here that usually means happy, for happiness is a subjective state, whereas Jesus is making an objective judgment about these people. He is declaring not what they may feel like happy, but what God thinks of them, and what on account they are. They are blessed. I, I love this. Like the, the happiness that Jesus is talking about here is a state of like being utterly satisfied, having every need met. It doesn't mean that you have everything, but it means that you have everything that you need. And then like, it comes out of this reality of Jesus looking at us and telling us that like, when we realize our brokenness, our deficiencies, our limits, like we enter into this place where we can live with him and be truly satisfied because we know that God's grace covers the rest. It's like that. Lord, you want us to be in this place where we are just full. We are just utterly full of you and what we need. Then we're satisfied and we're not lacking anything. And I like, in my mind, every, all this week I've been saying to myself, you know, that this like satisfaction is having everything I need. Not because I have everything there is, but because I have everything that really matters. I'll say that again. This state is like this blessedness, this blessing is that I have everything I need, not because I have everything there is, but because I have everything that really matters. I just find that to be so profound. So I am like, Lord, I can say that I am blessed, that I am full, that I am not lacking, when I realize I'm poor in spirit because I know I'm dirty and broken. I know that the best of me compared to this perfect and holy God is nothing. It's so dirty. It's so useless. It's so less. And it like doesn't demean me to say that, but it actually like allows me to experience God's grace and feel fullness. Like, Lord, I know I'm pure in spirit. It's like, Lord, when I mourn and when I make that room for you in my soul, when I like really come into contact with my limitations of what I've done to other people and what I've done to myself, like then I can really relax and really pour myself out to you and I will be comforted and that will be my blessing. Like, Lord, I want to know you. Lord, I want this blessed life. Teach me in this sermon series of what it means to be like truly full, truly satisfied. The second thing that I, the Beatitudes point us to know is that we are called to this counterculture. Now, I don't want to be drinking any undue, like, haterade on the church and, and Christian culture in this country. Like, like, one of the things that irks me the most is when, like, people, well, us, some of us Christians think we're better than other Christians and, like, call one another out. But, like, for the life of me, I can't understand why there's such a thing as the Christian Music Award. Like, I honestly have tried to give it grace in my mind and I don't like see an avenue of why it's okay 
for Christians to be spending millions of dollars to huddle in this room to give each other awards. And like, what does this award even mean? Like, I don't understand. It's like, are we just like saying, oh, this, like, Holy Spirit really used this song. This song really got used this year. Like, how? Like, I just don't understand. To me, it's just such this picture that, like, sometimes our lives look exactly like everyone else. Like, you might not even know that we are Christians if we don't do Christian things. And to me, like, I think that that's so unfortunate because following Christ has always been about being this counterculture for the world. Israel, at the heart of Israel, Israel was meant to be this embodiment of what a society looks like here on earth when God is at the center. And it didn't work because we're all people, right? We, Israel rarely lived it out, just like us. The church rarely really gets it right all the time. But we're called to this counterculture, to not look like the world. The Beatitudes showed me that like, we're just called to be different, to look different, to live our lives differently. Uh, I, in seminary, I remember so vividly reading these first-hand articles written in the time of the early church, written by Romans, calling Christians so peculiar because, number one, they didn't share wives. Like, a Christian man never offered his wife or another Roman to sleep with. And also, they were like, just couldn't understand how Christian men wouldn't sleep with other men's wives when invited. It just made no sense. It was so peculiar, and I, I just love that. I also love how in the early church, Christians were called cannibals because they like ate the body of their Savior, and, and they didn't understand what the upper heart of communion was. And it's just like, so I think that's so important. We're called to live differently, to look differently, not to dress up this world's living with Christian-y things, but to be different. We're not called to be like radicals all the time, changing the world. One of the things that it, like, confuses me the most are people who are so worried about being radicals. Like, no, but I am called to look different live my life different, to respond differently in faith and trust, not in anger, in peace and in love and in grace and with mercy. So like I said, the Beatitudes is the, this introduction, beautiful poetry, uh, introducing the whole of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is like the closest thing to a manifesto that Jesus ever left us. The closest thing to like, Jesus, what are you all about? Go to Matthew chapter 5 and you'll learn so much of what he's about. You'll, you'll, you'll find his essence and his, his mission and what he came here for. And one of the core verses of the whole Sermon on the Mount comes in chapter 6, Matthew chapter 6, verse 8. And it simply says, do not be like them. I just find that to be so profound that we are called to look different. Don't be like them. Don't react like don't be religious like them. Like live this out differently. Follow what I'm telling you to do. A few now, just to be clear, a few weeks ago I preached about racism in Jonah's heart. How he lived in this like mentality of us versus them. It's God's people versus the world. And that's not what we're talking about here. That I want to be clear, that's not what we're saying. Like it's us versus them. We have to be different. No, but we have to realize that we are called to live different lives, to respond differently, and in faith, not in fear, in love, not in anger. And, and I just find that so profound. Like it just, to me, whenever I am confronted with the Beatitudes, I'm reminded that I have to be different. 
than even what I want to do myself. Oswald Chambers, a really famous Christian writer, he writes this. He said, the teaching of the Sermon on the Mount is not do your duty, but it's in effect, do what is not your duty. It is not your duty to go the second mile or turn the other cheek. But Jesus said, if we are his disciples, we will always do these things. We will not say, oh, well, I just can't do any more. Uh, and I've been so misrepresented and misunderstood. Like, stuff like that won't bother us because we know we're called to be different. We know that like, it's, it's not our duty. These aren't rules. These aren't laws. We're like, I will do these things if I am confronted with living for God's kingdom. And so let the Beatitudes in this sermon series, let the Beatitudes teach you that you're called to look different. It's okay that you're different in the workplace. It's okay that you're different than all the other moms. It's okay that you're different than the other dads. It's okay that you want different things. It's okay that your goal in life isn't to get this 401k and retire. We're called to be different. We're called to give away more money. We're called to be more gracious. We are called to be different, to look different, to respond different, and to have different life goals. And so part of this whole sermon series is like reminding us that we are part of this counterculture that Jesus is building in this world. And the last thing that we're going to talk about is that this, all of this, is not a shock. One of the dangers of religion, not of faith, but of religion, is that we take God's word, and we read all of this in a pure, pure heart. Like, let's just say it's in a pure heart most of the time. We're like, okay, like, Lord, I want to know all this, so I'm going to pour myself into this. And one of the dangers is that at some point, because it's in our nature, we stop treating this like God's living word, and we start treating it like a menu. Like, oh, okay, foreign spirit, I don't want that. Uh, morning, I don't really like that. Meek, you know, I can even do that every once in a while. I, I hunger and thirst for righteousness, like, oh, sure, I want good things to happen. I'll, I'll buy into that one. I'll order that one off the menu. Mercifulness, pure of heart, peacemaker, sure, I can do the being persecuted, like, oh, no. like, God, I'm out of that one. I'm not doing that one. And we start treating this like a menu. And we order certain things, and also equally as crucially, we don't order certain things. We don't let God change us through and because at its essence, the beatitude is speaking to us in our character. And we have to let God's word come and do the work that it can do. We have to say this whole sermon series, we have to say, Lord, come and change my character. Like, do a deep work in my life, in my heart to change me. Here is something that I am not letting anyone in this church say. You do not have my permission to do this at all in these weeks that we're in the Beatitudes. You cannot say at any point that, okay, like, Lord, I, I, I'm good on this one. I'll just stick to the ones I'm good at. Or like, Lord, I, I don't want this. Like, I'm, I'm going to choose uh, seven of the eight. Or I'm going to choose five of the eight. Or like, Lord, I only really do two of them really well, so I'll just, I'll stick with the two blessing menu portion here. Like, no, no, no. If you do this, you cheapen what the Beatitudes can do in your life. And if you do this, I'll also find out, and I will come to your house, and I will invite myself over for dinner, and I'll stay an awkwardly long amount of time talking to you. Like, we cannot cheapen what God is trying to do 
in our lives and then in the life of this church. Like, oh, Lord, I, I want to live in your blessing. Like, Lord, I want this counterculture that you're building here on earth. And so, Lord, I'm going to give you access to all of my character. Change me through and through. I know I'll never be all the way where I should be until I see you face to face, but Lord, I'm also giving you no, I'm giving myself no excuses to not chase after you wholeheartedly. Because all of the Beatitudes are meant for all of us. Every single one of us are supposed to intimately know and live out each and every single one of these Beatitudes. If there is a week where you're tempted to say, I'm out on this one, you don't have that permission to. You cheapen all of the Beatitudes if you do that. Any prayer short of asking God to change you all the way through is inappropriate in the sermon series. Instead, we, our answer to, yeah, to God when he asks us something should be yes. Can I change this? Yes, Lord, change that. Can I do this? Yes, Lord, change it. If it's in your will, do it. Because I want to be blessed, and I want to live in your culture. John Stott, best friend, makes another appearance here. He says, The Beatitudes set forth the balance and variegated character of Christian people. These are not eight separate and distinct groups of disciples, some of whom are meek while others are merciful, and yet others are called to, upon to endure persecution. They are rather eight qualities of the same group who are at one and the same time are meek, merciful, poor in spirit, and pure in heart, mourning and hungry, peacemakers and persecuted. He also goes on to say the Beatitudes are Christ's own specifications of what every Christian ought to be. All these qualities are to characterize all his followers. There is no escape from our responsibility to govern them all. And so City Life Church, none of us are, are given the permission to say, uh, okay, I'll take some of these and I won't take all of them. But for this blessed life, to like truly know the ends of yourself, to truly be satisfied by God in a way that we cannot even imagine. It's all in or all out. That God is gracious. He is patient. He works with us all of the time. But let us not on purpose and intentionally say, like, Lord, I'm not here. Or, Lord, get out of this place. Or, Lord, I'm not going to be peaceful to that person. No. No one is off the hook. If you really want this blessed life, you really want God to reign in your life, if you really want the kingdom to be embodied in your life, if you want the satisfaction that just leaves you wanting nothing, we've got to give Jesus permission to do whatever he needs to do. So invite the Holy Spirit in constantly, every day and every week, saying, like, Holy Spirit, do the work that you know my heart needs. I know I'm broken. I know that I am short. I need you to change me. I need your blessing all the way. So let's conclude this a little bit together. So today we started talking about Leah Holland, the lady who 10 days before Kentucky registered their first COVID death, got this really meaningful tattoo that said that she was done wearing masks. And she experienced a lot of buyer's remorse after that. We also talked about how 64% of millennials are 
severely regretting buying homes, either because they bought too high, or because they felt pressured into this, or because they bought somewhere they don't want to live in long term. 64% of millennials are very unhappy right now, dissatisfied with spending hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars. And we, and we used all of that to kind of just leap into being satisfied in life. And that's, and that's satisfied in like the small view that we have of that word. Saying like, Lord, I'm okay. I have everything I need in you. You give me everything. In seasons of good and in difficult seasons, I'm satisfied because I have you with me. And so I pray that this sermon series starts something in your life where we're like, okay, Lord, I want every blessing that you have for me. I want to live at peace with you. I want to be okay, and I want to be happy with what I have, to what you give me, the life that you've given me, my relationship with you, my relationship with others. I want to be different. I want to live the life that I've like dreamt of living with you. I want to be have my faith be meaningful to me. I just want to be satisfied. I want this pure happiness that only comes from you. Not the only just feeling happy. But I want to know that I'm happy. I want to know that I have enough in every season. Like I want to live for your kingdom. And I know that the Beatitudes, at some point, you should feel exposed. You should feel naked at some point. When you read the Beatitudes and you let them confront you. I'm like, Lord, do the work that only you can do. Like, make the Beatitudes mean something in my life. So that I know that I am satisfied, so that I can be satisfied, live at peace with you, attracting people to you just by being who you've made me to be. And so, church, this week we start our Beatitude series, our journey towards this beatific vision of being satisfied in the Lord, satisfied with the life that we have as we chase after Him more and more. And so let us do that by going to our MCs this week, by joining the prayer calls on Monday and Wednesday and Fridays. Let's just chase after Jesus without any hesitation. Church, we love you very much. I love you very much. Can't wait for us to continue to be together. Can't wait for us to be back in our school together. And uh, until that happens, we love you. We continue to be making this environment safe for all of us to be confronted with God. Love you, and we'll see you soon.